going to be talking about um, the difference between direct seeding and transplanting, why we prefer one over the other, which, which plants you should direct seed versus transplant, and all of that. We had, we had a couple questions. You know, unfortunately, there's only so much that you can cover in six hours of training. And gardening has so much deeper than that. And so if you're interested in learning more uh, about any of these topics, we have training that's available. In fact, uh, we have a whole gardening course that has over 18 hours of training going over each of the different topics um, from planting your garden all the way through um, simple ways that you can extend your season over the winter, um, dealing with weeds, pests, and diseases. So that home, we call it our home gardening course, and that gardening course is available. We have it on sale for the conference at 50% off. So if you're interested in that, um, make sure to come and connect with us at our table in the main room later on. And we have some other smaller gardening courses and material as well. Um, and if you're listening to this later, you can go to our website, borntogrow.net, or you can write that down as well, borntogrow.net. But let's jump in and talk about direct seeding versus transplanting, and Dad uh, shares a little bit about uh, the spiritual connections with our lives as well. Okay, yeah, we're also going to talk about uh, different kinds of seeds, because you may have heard of different kinds of seeds like genetically modified seeds, hybrid seeds, open pollinated seeds. There's all of these labels. What do they all mean, and how does that affect you with your garden? So we'll, we'll touch on that as well. All right, so in, in Genesis 1, 29 and 30, I, I, I want to have a prayer again. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that, that you have given us seeds. They are so special. And we pray that you would, you would bless as we, as we learn and understand about seeds now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in Genesis 1, 29 to 30, God said to Adam and Eve, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So, what I want to ask you is, what's the difference between what God gave us for food and, and what God gave the rest of the, the creatures? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. I mean, I, I think that's, that's pretty much true. But in the way God said it, I think there is a distinction. If you notice that, that when he's talking to Adam and Eve and what he's giving them for food, he's saying, I give you every plant-yielding seed and every tree with seed and its fruit. And then for the creatures, it's just a green plant. So for some reason, God is emphasizing the seed. Do you get that? And if you think about it, I... I'm thinking that that is a distinction between human beings and the rest of all the, the animal creation. Because as far as I know, only man actually manages seeds. 
you know, we, we save seeds, we purposefully plant seeds, and, and grow them. And I don't know any other creature that does that. You know, squirrels might accidentally bury an acorn and forget that it was there and, and it will sprout and grow. But, you know, I don't know of anything that, that purposefully grows, you know, saves and grows and then plants seeds. So I think that's the, the seeds are, are they were the, the key resource that God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were the prime resource that he gave them. Um, and they, they have two purposes. One is, one is they, they nourish us directly, and second is they provide us something to plant for, for future nourishment. Okay, and so in Isaiah 55.10, for example, it says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Okay, so it's double purpose for us. And um, there, there's something very special about seeds because um, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. And so there, there's um, the seed is, is the, the result of relationships. Does that make sense? It's always the result of relationships, and it's usually the result of some sort of labor that goes into the relationships. Okay? And so God has given us fruit, um, seeds, to eat, but, but it, it takes a relationship, us working with those plants to get the, the produce and, and it takes labor to get it. And that is true about any, any fruit of life. You know, if, if, we, if we're talking about any, any um, outcome of our labors, it's true of fruit of the Spirit. It's true of, of souls, if we're looking at souls as the fruit for the kingdom. It's always a result of relationships and, and labor. Um, so in John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to produce seed, basically. <laughs> um, and I think that means both literally and figuratively in a, and in a spiritual sense. So let's learn about seeds. All right. So, uh, you have to have seeds to have garden. You can't, you can't grow anything without seeds. Good seeds and good soil are really the two pillars of a successful garden. You have to have the seeds. You also have to have the soil. Um, without high-quality seed, all other activities are moot. And that's from the New Organic Grower. It's a book by Elliot Coleman. So what, are, what about uh, GMO seeds, hybrid, open-pollinated, or heirloom seeds? You have all of these labels. 
how do you differentiate them? How do you know what's good, what's bad? What should you be purchasing when you're, when you're purchasing seeds? Um, here's a few definitions of the different um, types. Ge GMO, or genetically modified organisms, is the mechanical or biological transfer of genetic material outside of natural methods. That's kind of the key phrase. This is happening outside of natural methods between genera, families, or kingdoms. So for example, example, an extreme example of this is they have genetically modified um, goat's milk glands to produce spider silk with the milk, all right? They have also genetically um, modified, um, what was the other example? It was fish with something. What was that? Well, they have genetically modified salmon, but there was another, there was another thing that they, they have done. Just, it's just weird cross-genetics from totally different genera. It's like, you know, um, plants and animals. To I think it was putting a fish gene in plants so that the plants could, could endure cold better. Could endure yeah. cold. There, yeah. there we go. So, you know, it's going cross-kingdoms cross even. Um, and it's, it's, it's very interesting, the way they do it, they actually shoot, they, they have like a gene gun, they call it, where they shoot the gene into um, the cells that they're trying to insert the gene into. And it's, it's not very precise, and there's a lot of, it's a lot of trial and error until they finally get one that works. Um, but that is, that is what are called genetically modified organisms. Um, and they've done this with seeds. Now, there aren't that many genetically modified seeds on the market. The main ones are corn, soybeans, beets, and alfalfa, peanuts. <clears throat> so those are the those are the main ones. I don't. I don't know if peanuts. I, I've not heard of peanuts being genetically modified. But well, in California, they're doing it. It may be something that was just recently. Yeah. We'll, we'll ha we'd have to check into that. Um, but yes, so those are the main ones. And just so you know, most usually they're not readily available for home gardeners. Um, usually they're just mainly available for large farmers. They have to make a contract with the seed company to be able to use them uh, because they're actually patented seeds. And... Corn, soybeans, alfalfa, um, cotton. cotton, and beets. And we'll have to look into peanuts. Um, over time, they are introducing more. Um, yes? It is hard to find good soybeans. You want to make sure they're organic. Yes? Any, anything that's labeled organic excludes GMO. Yeah. A lot of people aren't clear on that, but that's, yes. yeah. yeah. So if it, if it has an organic label, it's, it's not GMO. Yeah, so that, that is the simplest way to understand whether your seed is going to be GMO or not. Now, the, the question with, like I said, most, most of these aren't readily available to home gardeners. The question for all of us is, how careful are the seed companies that are growing the, that are growing and getting the seeds um, that their crops haven't been cross-contaminated? Because what can happen is you can have corn growing in one field that's that's organic, 
but the field next door could be genetically modified and they'll cross-contaminate and they can cross-contaminate. And so you, you want to be careful um, what seed companies you get from to know that the seed company itself is careful that their seeds aren't cross-contaminated. Does that make sense? All right. So GMOs are what you want to stay away from. And we don't have time to go into all of it. My dad and I did a whole webinar together on how to keep your garden GMO-free and, uh, and all of that. You can ask us about that uh, training later. Um, but basically, for now, we're just going to have to say we, we highly encourage you to stay away from genetically modified seeds. There's not enough testing that's been done, and there's a lot of... Um, a lot of testing that has been done that has come out with negative results, both for physical health um, and we just have environmental concerns with them as well. Um, quick question, yeah. How do you know if it's non-GMO seeds? If it's organic, if it's organic, then it's by definition non-GMO. Um, otherwise, you'll want to look for seed companies. Uh, and make a note of this. You want to look for seed companies that have taken what's called the Safe Seed Pledge. And you can Google that and find lists of companies that have taken the Safe Seed Pledge and they pledge to not, sell, not, not to sell any genetically modified seeds and to be careful um, with their seed selection. We don't sell seeds, no, no. Um, this is, uh, I mean, it basically says that there's no genealogy in the market, but there is traditional breeding, uh, mm -hmm. so there's no GMO on the market. Yeah. Maybe they've done it, but it's not. Yeah. There are times, there are times where they produce, like they produce GMO wheat as well, but they haven't, it hasn't been approved for being on the market yet, um, if that makes sense. Um, so they are, they are. Doing, they've done GMO apples, but they haven't been approved for being on the market unless they were recently. I don't know. <clears throat> okay, so uh, just for the sake of time, we need to move on. The second one is hybrid and hybrid seeds. You're going to see this a lot in seed catalogs. If it says, like, in front of the seed, if it says F1 or F2, that is listing the generation of hybrid that it is. And what a hybrid seed is, is it's the offspring of a cross between two or more varieties, usually of the same species. So crossing one, it's, it's actually a natural process. It's crossing one tomato plant with another tomato plant, and the result has some of the characteristics from both of the parent tomato plants. Does that make sense? In a sense, every single one of us in here is a hybrid. Um, it, it's, it's, a very, it's a natural process that happens in nature. Um, but there is a consideration coming up of whether you will, whether you want to purchase hybrid or um, open pollinated or heirloom. Yes. A hybrid is a cross between two of the same. So a cross between two tomatoes, for example, or between two eggplants, um, and it will have some of the characteristics of both of the parent plants. There's nothing that, that, yes, in short, there's nothing wrong with a hybrid. Uh, people may often have, uh, oftentimes people think, uh, when, they think, when they hear the word hybrid, they think of genetically modified and they think that it's something bad. Um, there's nothing really wrong with a hybrid. It's a natural process that happens in nature. Um, yeah. 
It does happen in nature. Mm -hmm. Yes. An open pollinated, on the other hand, is a non-hybrid variety and one that reproduces itself in kind. So this is the thing to, to um, and open pollinated and heirloom are actually very similar. Heirloom is just a variety that has been saved for many, 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 many years. Um, that's basically the only difference. So open pollinated and heirloom, the, the key difference between them and a hybrid is that they will reproduce to the same kind. Um, a hybrid, and I'll try to make this as simple as possible, so you have two tomato plants that are different, you get a hybrid of the two of them, and it shares some of the characteristics of the parents. But when you plant the seed of the hybrid, oftentimes it will revert back to one of the parent plants. All right? So if you are saving seed to keep planting in your garden, then we would encourage you to get open pollinated or heirloom seeds. If you're saving seed, then you'll want to get open pollinated or heirloom seeds because they will reproduce true to the type. If you get a hybrid and you save the seed, it may go back to one of the parent varieties, which isn't a bad thing. Um, you know, it's still food. You're still going to get food, but it's not going to be the same as what you started out with. So let, let me just give an example. We, we have um, a squash that is, that is a cross between a Cuban squash and a butternut squash. That happened in our garden. <laughs> okay, And then we grew the seeds of that. So the, the seeds we were growing, growing were, were a hybrid, okay? But those seeds will not, um, if we were to plant the seeds from the, those fruit, some of them are going to tend to go back towards the butternut, and some are going to tend to go back towards the Cuban, and some will be kind of in between, all right? So that if, if you want to save seeds, you, you need to make sure that you're, the plants are, are going to seed. The, the, you only have one variety, for example, of tomato going to seed at the same time. Otherwise, you'll get hybrids. It would be when they're flowering. Right, when they're flowering, <laughs> they, they need to flower. You, you need to have them flowering at different times if you have different varieties. Or just don't grow different varieties. Just stay, grow one variety. That would be the easiest thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so if you want to save seeds, open pollinated heirloom. Otherwise, hybrids are great to grow. If as you well. want to save seeds, it, it's, it's not hard, but it, it, at the same time, there's a lot involved in it. And I'd encourage you, there's a breakout session on seed saving. I'd encourage you to go to that and learn something about it. Yeah, yeah. Jackson. You can save the seeds, but it won't be the same hybrid that is growing. Um, when you plant the seed. It will probably have some different characteristics. Yeah. Yes, they are, they are basically the same thing. Um, people don't necessarily use them exchangeably. Um, an heirloom has been saved for hundreds of years. That's basically the only difference. I'll, I'll just give an example. There, there are new varieties of open-pollinated seed being produced all the time and you can you can take a, a hybrid seed and if you if you save it for six or eight generations 
looking for certain characteristics, you can come up with a new plant variety that will be open pollinated and it will breed true. Thank so, you. so there are new open pollinated varieties available all the time, but heirloom varieties by definition are, are varieties that have been saved for generations, they're old. So that's the difference between, the heirloom is by definition a subset of open pollinated. It's actually, it's actually a lot like breeding dogs. There's new dogs that are being bred all the time, but there's some that have been for years and years and years gone back. Yes? We attended the behind-the-seats tour at the Epcot Center, and they said they were growing all the plants from plant cultures. They would take a small piece of a stem, then put it in some sort of gel, and then the roots would start up from that. Uh, where does that fall into this? If you, can you do that with a hybrid plant? Or, and is there any downsides to that? I think you could do that from any plant. The, the downside is that you, you need a small laboratory setup to, <laughs> to do it in. And um, you're, what you're getting is a, um, you're, you're, you're growing clones. Now, we do that in farming a lot. You know, if you, if you grow sweet potatoes, you grow them from slips, and, and basically you're cloning. But it's not something you have to do in a, in a lab there. And the same with potatoes, you're, you're growing from a potato seed. So you're, you're just growing, it's a, it's a cloning process. You mean the potato root? I mean, yeah, the potato root. Yeah. Potatoes produce seeds, for example, but they're not something that you want to use because the, the genetic material in them is so diverse, you, you'll get all kinds of crazy things out of the seed. But, but we use the root because that'll produce another one just like it. All right, excellent, excellent questions. Um, unfortunately, I, I wish we could take every single question. Unfortunately, we need to move on. If you have a question, you can come up to us um, later. We'd be happy to talk with you. Um, so question here is why direct seed? Direct seeding versus transplanting. Direct seeding is when you take the seed and you go out to your garden spot and you plant it directly in the soil and then it grows. Transplanting is when you plant the seed inside somewhere in a potting mix or something and then you take that plant that has grown and transplant it out into the garden after it's grown for a couple of weeks. Dad, do you think you could get the little um, bin with the, um, the potting soil and, and soil blocker? So why direct seed? It's not practical or economical to transplant some crops. So for example, um, Tap-rooted crops, if you're growing carrots, parsnips, radishes, often it's not, it's not practical to transplant those. And so you would go out and direct seed them into your garden bed. You're growing a lot of them in a small space, and you, you just seed them and then thin them after they come up. Um, and then some of these other ones are more come more into play when you're actually growing for profit, like low return per square foot crops, like corn and pumpkins. But even corn and pumpkins, they are, um, they're easy to transplant for a, for a home gardener, but you can direct seed them. They're, they're optional for direct seeding as well. Legumes like peas and beans are often direct seeded. Fast growing crops like radish and spinach are often direct seeded. And herbs, you know, those can go either way. In fact, so, so 
when it comes to direct seeding, um, the, the main thing is to think of practicality and economy. How can you grow in the easiest way, in the easiest way possible for you and still get the best return from your garden. Now, I'll let, let you in on a hint. We prefer transplanting to direct seeding, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But we transplant 80 to 90% of the plants that we grow. In fact, we have begun even transplanting corn, which is usually um, always direct seeded. But we've begun transplanting corn because we still get better, um, we get better harvest from it. Um, it uses our space more wisely and more efficiently. Um, so, and pumpkins, you know, we transplant those. We still direct seed our carrots. Um, we sometimes even transplant beets um, and spinach. So even some of these things that are often direct seeded, we will still sometimes transplant. Um, the, one, the one thing that we never transplant is carrots and peas and beans. Those we pretty much always direct seed into the garden. So a couple things when it comes to direct seeding, uh, germination percentages for direct seeding are lower than, usually lower than what they say on the seed packet. So on the seed packet, it'll say 80% germination rate. Well, if you're direct seeding it out into the garden, you should guess at more of like a 50% germination rate. Um, you should guess it lower. Um, allow a fudge factor of 50 to 100% um, on that germination. So example, if you, want to plant, if you want a plant every four inches, then set the seed spacing to be every two inches. Plant a seed every two inches. It's always easier to come and thin the young plants out afterwards, take them out, and seed is very inexpensive than to plant less and end up with a very sparse garden bed and uh, you're not using your space in your garden very wisely. As a general rule, and this is for both transplanting and direct seeding, but as a general planting rule, you want to cover your seeds three to four times their diameter. So if a seed is a quarter diameter, a quarter inch, like a pea seed, you want to plant it about an inch deep. Most of your little small seeds, like your kale, your broccoli, your lettuce, uh, actually lettuce, um, lettuce is different, I'll tell you about it in a second, but your kale, your broccoli, they're very small, and you want to plant them about a quarter inch deep. So about three to four times the diameter of the seed itself. Lettuce is a little unique, and it actually germinates best not being covered. I'll just repeat that. It actually germinates best not being covered. Just put your lettuce... Most seeds um, are activated by being in the dark but there are a few that are activated by being in the light, and lettuce is one of them. Yeah, yeah. So you just put the lettuce seed on your soil. Uh, tra transplanting it is recommended, and then mist it and wait for it to, to germinate. Um, in cool or heavy soils, you can plant a little shallower. In warm or dry soils, you can plant slightly deeper, but I would pretty much just stick with the three to four times the diameter. And then you want to keep the soil moist until germination. Um, all right, I'm just going to jump past this. this was, that was just saying that it can be helpful to set a string to make sure your rows are straight if you want to do that. Um, here are some benefits of transplanting. Um, there are many advantages to transplanting. Number one, transplanting is more reliable. You're going to add, 
you'll, you will more reliably end up with a good plant to plant into your garden when you transplant it because you're, you're allowing it to grow in, an, in a more controlled environment. It doesn't have all of the effects of um, the wind and the elements outside, and so it's more reliable for it to grow well. Um, there's better plant care and cost efficiency. Uh, you know, even though seeds are inexpensive, you're going to get more for your seeds if you transplant them. Um, more of them will do well. There's an almost sure harvest. And what this means is that a transplant that has been growing inside for two weeks and is healthy is when you transplant that out to the garden, you're going to get an almost sure harvest from it. Um, unless something terrible happens and it gets overridden with, you know, pests or diseases and, and on others, otherwise. But um, because it's had that, um, that foundation of growing well for a couple weeks inside, it has a much higher likelihood of doing well outside. Right. Mm -hmm. um, going back to what Paul said about direct seeding, remember he suggested you, you um, plant twice as much as you want because there's, there's poorer germination if you direct seed. Um, what, what happens often when you direct seed is you'll get gaps in your garden um, where, where they didn't take or, or bugs took them out. And, and so you'll, your, your, your stand won't be even, it'll be spotty. It might be thick in one place and very sparse in another place. So if, you, if you're transplanting, um, of course, not all of your transplants take either, and you're not going to plant um, out your empty transplants, right? <laughs> you know, so you're only putting out the good plants, and, and you have an even stand, and, and so you're using your space more efficiently. Yeah, make sure that every single part of your garden is used to maximum, um, maximum ability. Um, all right. Green manure productivity, uh, you can ask us about that later. It's more if you're growing on larger scales. Um, it's easier to deal with weeds um, if you transplant. Again, because of that um, even spacing, um, it makes sure that all of your garden bed eventually is covered with plants and shades out the weeds. If you direct seeded your whole garden bed, then there may be gaps where something didn't germinate, and you're going to have weeds growing up in that gap. Um, it increases the effectiveness of succession planting, so you can actually grow more in your garden. For instance, lettuce takes about 50 days to harvest or so. Um, 50 to 60, I guess it depends on, on what, variety. what variety it is. But say 50 days to harvest. Um, so if you have a lettuce plant that has grown for 50 days, and two weeks before you harvest it, you start a lettuce plant inside... Then, you have, then when you harvest that lettuce, you have a 14-day-old lettuce ready to plant immediately where that other lettuce was. Do you see how you can get much more out of your garden in that way? Um, so it really, really ups the effectiveness of succession planting and gives you a lot more from your garden space. Um, and then the shelter uh, gives your plants a head start simply because they're in a sheltered environment when they're beginning and that is the most vulnerable stage of a plant. We'll talk about it more when we talk about cultivating but that beginning stage is the most vulnerable and when it's sheltered it really gives that plant a head start. You might 
if you think about it, you might see some connections to child raising. And yeah, there's a lot of connections between, between the garden and our lives. Um, now, there are different ways that you can transplant. Many of you have seen uh, plug trays where people will grow their plants in a, in a plug tray. Um, we like to use what we call soil blocks. And Dad, do you mind helping uh, mix up a little bit of this? Uh, what we do is we use a tool called a soil blocker. And there's some specific benefits to using um, this tool versus using a plug tray. Um, a plug tray, what ends up happening in plug trays is that often if the plants grow long enough, the roots start circling around the plastic. And, and the plant becomes what's called root-bound. And when you plant it out into the garden, um, it takes a little, a little while for those roots. Sometimes people will encourage you to kind of break up the roots a little bit before you transplant it so they go in. What happen, um, the, the benefits of using a soil block, one of the benefits is that you never end up having that happen. Um, the, it's basically a little block of soil that your plant grows in, and there's actually a little air gap um, in between each of them, and the roots will hit that air gap, and they'll actually stop because they hit air, and they'll wait for a little while, and then... It's called air pruning. Yeah, it's called air pruning. They'll wait for a little while, and then eventually they'll, if you wait long enough, they'll jump that gap, and they'll start growing into the next block. But even then, when you take those blocks apart, the roots are right there on the edge, immediately ready to go out into the rest of the ground when you transplant it, and it really gives your plants a much better um, head start. Um, so we, I brought along a little bit of potting mix with us and, um, and the soil blocker so that you can see what we're talking about. Yeah, maybe we can just do some here and put them there and then like pass it around. Um, so we'll we'll make a little set of these blocks and pass them around, and you can kind of feel the texture of the of the soil mix. You want it kind of like that squeezed out sponge again um, when you're making the blocks. It's important not to have too much water, and it's important not to have too little water. You want to be able to squeeze it and just have like a few drops come out um, when you squeeze it. So you know, nothing comes out when I'm not squeezing. Yeah, it can it can have a little bit of a stream, but not like you know, water gushing out of it. Um, and then you take a blocker like this, and they have all different sizes. This is like the home garden size, all right? And then they have larger ones that will do like a, a large square at a time, and you stand up and, and block them, and you can do it very quickly um, and efficiently. It's called a soil blocker. Soil blocker. You can get them from Johnny's Selected Seeds. Johnny's Seeds. You can do a search online. There's one or two other places you can get them as well. Yeah. So at home, we would do this in a So at home, we would do this in a larger bin. In a, you can, um, for what we've done at the farm is we, we've get, got the, you go to a, um, a Home Depot or, or Lowe's and, and go to the, um, the section where they're selling um, concrete or mud, they call it, you know, for, there's different kinds. And you can get a, a tray, a black tray, for, for mixing that in. And that's what we use. Um, and you can, 
the, the trays we, we use on the farm are about this big, but you can buy smaller ones also. And, okay, yeah, you just told about the trays that we put them in. So we'll... You, you just press this yeah. down, down into um, the material, and it makes these blocks. And you can press it down pretty hard. You want to use a soil mix that's primarily, primarily made up of compost and peat moss, um, or compost and coconut core. And because of that, um, there's a lot of organic matter, and you can press it pretty hard, and they'll still be loose enough for the plants to grow well in them. Yeah. So then you just press this, and it pushes them out. Um, so here's a here's a block. So you can see a block like that. They're they're fairly. I mean, you you can see they're they're holding together, but they are fragile initially. But after a week, they 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 just kind of set together and they're really firm. And um, when you're ready to plant them out, they, you don't have you don't worry about them falling apart. The roots also, as they grow into the the block, help hold, hold it together. It together. Yeah. yeah. So we can pass this around, and you can you can take a look at it. And then you just put the seed into this. Yeah. I. If you'll notice, there's a there's a little um, dimple hole in the in the center, and so you you just put the seed in that. So you don't have to pry out before you put the seed. No, no, no. You 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 want to make them and seed them immediately. And keep them moist the whole time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there any dirt in the tray that you're using? Or that, you know, like, is there a layer of dirt? No. no dirt. Just put it straight in yeah, the tray. Just put the block straight on a tray. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So are you putting the seed in while the seed block thing? Yes. You, so, no, you, you make the blocks first. If you, no. take, if you take a look at the block, um, when the block is formed, it gets formed with a little dimple at the top. And so you can just set the seed in the dimple and then cover that over. Mm -hmm. and what we do to cover it is we just take a, a little peat moss or, or, or dry, loose compost and, and sprinkle it on top. And, and maybe, you know, you can put some on top of the, all the blocks and then kind of scrape it off so that it's just even with the yeah. top of the block. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the question is, how do you keep it moist after you plant it? That's a good question, and, and I've tried both, but primarily we just use misting. You need a water wand that, that puts a very gentle spray out. Um, if, it, if, it, if the spray has any force it'll disintegrate the blocks. Now you can get misting heads um, that just put out a mist, and that is what we use when we plant uh, like lettuce, where the seed is just out in the open, when we don't cover the seed. Otherwise, we use a soft wand that just gives a soft shower. Um, and the reason we use the mister is because it's easy to wash the lettuce seed out of the, that dimple and out of the block. Yeah, yeah. How 
No, you can put them right up next to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, I went to, um, to like, actually, I didn't go to Home Depot, but I went to Lowe's, and they didn't have just regular flat trays. I was kind of surprised. I thought, you know, how, how much more standard can you get with a garden, just a regular tray? Um, but you can get them online, and they're fairly, they're fairly inexpensive, or you could look at other garden centers around your area. Home Depot might have them, and Lowe's might not. You know, it, it, you'd have to just look and see. You can use wooden trays. Mm -hmm. Anything, anything to hold the hold the blocks. The ones we use are, are plastic. Yeah, but Elliot Coleman, the farmer we were telling you about, he makes his own wooden trays that he uses. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So you can get a soil blocker for like thirty-one bucks on Amazon. It's not not too bad. All right, friends. Uh, time has expired. <laughs> we've, I think we've gone about 10 minutes over. So we're, we'll take a break for lunch and we'll look forward to seeing you um, back after lunch. What's, it, what's our next um, session on? Okay, 1.45 um, outside. Meet us, meet us outside. We're going to um, break up the ground out there and show you exactly how we prepare the garden bed using the tools. So meet us out at our little garden's bed space out there. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.